Hi, Patrick here from the Bridges team, and we are in our series titled, Let Go. Jesus told his followers 2,000 years ago, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and pick up his cross and follow me. Has the idea of becoming a Jesus follower been tugging at your heart lately? Do you have questions about what it means to follow him? Are you holding on to reasons why you hesitate to follow Christ? This week, Pastor Ron will discuss what it means to truly follow Christ and let go. Morning, church. I was thinking as I was singing over there with you guys that um, one of the delights about doing relationship with the Lord together is those holy moments where we're pouring out our heart, you know, in praise and worship. And I thought that was one of them when we were all gathered together singing that old chorus that many of you have sung, you know, over a lifetime. And some of you was probably new to. And how that's what the Lord takes great pleasure in when we as his family are singing out our commitment to him. Even though, as Pastor Fred prayed, it can be weak and it can be shaky and it can be incomplete. My family, we, um, we have a dog. It's a rescue dog. It's, uh, it's a little bit psychotic like some of your dogs. Um, it's part Australian sh- uh, cattle dog and part corgi and part scaredy cat. Um, <laughs> It's okay, like in social settings, when we're out running, when I'm out running with my dog, and it does fine with other people and dogs. And, um, but when people come over to our house, um, it'll bark and back up, and it get you know freak out a little bit. It gets scared, and um, and it, but it's a, it's it's been great for our family. Uh, many of you know that my mom has walked through a whole season of challenges, and she has had been living with her um, with us for a, quite a long season, and it was her caregiver, her primary, you know, companion. It was great at that. And, um, and my kids love the dog. And, you know, there's a lot of great things about my dog. Um, it, it lets go of a lot of things. It, it lets go of wounds and hurts and regrets. And it, it's easy. Those things are easy. But when we're playing outside in the backyard, it, it will not let go of its rope. We, we have this little rope and we have all kinds of things we throw because it loves to fetch. And We'll throw that thing, and it'll come back. And, you know, a, a trained dog by real, you know, people who train dogs will come back and, you know, and set it down, and then you'll be able to throw it again. But not our dog. Our dog will hold on to it because she, she does not let go. <laughs> she wants you to grab that thing and, you know, do a tug-of-war, and then she, she wants you to, like, try to grab it and then run away and, you know, do the little dodge game. My dog does not let go of things. And I wonder if that's so crazy because on all these other things in life, the important things in life, my dog forgives, lets go of, you know, past things like that, but it will not let go of its rope. That's crazy, isn't it? And then I realized, no, my dog is a lot like me. I hold on to stupid things. I will not let go of them. And I, I've been really struck by this as God's word speaks about those very fundamental things in my life that I have to let go of in order to follow Jesus well. Um, some of us, we have had this understanding that in following Jesus is about adding one more good thing onto our life. We've got all these other great things, and then we add Jesus on, and that makes it that much better. So that's great. You know what that's called, actually? It's called syncretism. 
That's a false faith. It's trying to add on my, the things that I appreciate about my culture and my family and my stuff and add them on to this call of Jesus, the living personal God, for me to follow him with a whole heart. And that doesn't work. So for the next few weeks, we're going to be thinking about that and thinking about what does it mean actually to, to follow Jesus with a full heart? There's a family um, who you might well know. Uh, they became, uh, this couple became missionaries. They went down to South America, and the husband lost his life, Jim Elliott. And the wife, Elizabeth Elliott, had, after that time, had become a famous author about what does it mean to actually let go of the things that are most significant to you and still pursue the call of God. And this family has great integrity because they, they went back to this place that had taken the life of her husband and father of the kids, and they went back to that same tribe and told them about Jesus and saw great fruit in the going back. Elizabeth Elliot writes in one of her books this really powerful statement. There is no ongoing spiritual life without this process of letting go. At the precise point where we refuse, growth stops. If we hold tightly to anything given to us, unwilling to let it go when the time comes to let it go, or unwilling to allow it to be used as the giver means it to be used, we stunt the growth of the soul. It's easy to make a mistake here. If God gave it to me, we say, it's mine. I can do what I want with it. No. The truth is that it's ours to thank him for and ours to offer back to him. Ours to relinquish and ours to lose. Ours to let go of. If we want to find our true selves, if we want real life, if our hearts are set on glory. Wow. And the impressive thing is, you know, the person that wrote that has great integrity in saying it. There's this crowd of people that had heard Jesus and been struck by his powerful teaching and had seen these miraculous, marvelous things that he's doing to bring healing into people's lives. And they're thinking about their following Jesus. And at that moment, some people, you would think, would say, yeah, come along. Jesus says, if anyone wishes to come after me, what? Let him deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. And it wasn't just a metaphorical statement, was it? He wasn't talking metaphor. Because he actually did pick up his cross. He denied everything. When you think about what, what Jesus incarnate, God in the flesh did what he left from heaven to come to us. We can't even really fathom what he did to deny himself, to, to leave that stuff behind. And then to come for the sake of Oscar and Ted and myself, for the sake of you, Karen. It's remarkable, isn't it? What he, what he did to leave and then to actually pick up a cross, not metaphorically, but really uh, an instrument of torture and death for myself. That's, that's what he's calling his disciples to, and it's, it's hard, and that's why 
we stutter. That's, that's why we fail. That's why we turn back on our commitment. This year, we've been talking about that, that thing, above all other things, about what does it mean to commit? What does it mean really truly to, to follow him? And how does that affect the way that I live my life with my neighbors and the people at work? How does, how does my commitment transform me and transform other people? Because that's what it's intended to do. I know this about this call of Jesus that I have to leave behind what I've treasured, even my own self, and follow. Another writer, Mary DeMuth, has written this about that process. We don't like death. We'd rather produce seeds another way. But death to ourselves, our agendas, our expectations, our hopes, is necessary to find deep joy that comes when we fully relinquish ourselves to the gospel. A good statement. When we fully relinquish ourselves to the gospel, that's where life is found and where life is reproduced in us and the life of the people that we live with, our family, our friends, our neighbors. That's how the gospel is transferred through our following Jesus, through our relinquishing and laying it down. This year of commitment is an invitation. It's not an easy one, actually. But it's an invitation to let go, sometimes to the things dearest to us. That's the rub of following Jesus. Now, the truth is, there are all kinds of fantastic, life-giving things that we discover when we let go. When we follow Jesus, it's, it's good. It's much better than the meager little pile that I'm gripping onto. That's the point. That's why I let go. There's great reasons why to let go. But the letting go is still hard, isn't it? It's still challenging. Matthew records a series of let go conversations that we're going to dive into in the next five weeks. And we're going to turn our attention to the first of these that we're looking at. It's found in Matthew chapter 8. Would you turn your Bible open to Matthew chapter 8? And we're going to just look at a brief window there, Matthew 8, 14 through 22. Now, there's context, so before we jump right into the text, I'll give you brief context. If you know the flow of the book of Matthew, you know chapters 5 through 7 is what? Yeah, it's the Sermon on the Mount, greatest message ever recorded, and it's done in, you know, if you read it through, I've been told, you can do it in about 20 minutes. So what, is I, what am I doing speaking longer than Jesus when he does it, you know, in 20 minutes? A fantastic message, and it really gets at the heart of how does a person follow, deny themselves, and actually follow God's agenda. And then in the beginning of Matthew 8, there's a series of miraculous things that happen. We'll get to them briefly where, where Jesus is demonstrating his power just as he's demonstrated his power to, to heal people through walking following Jesus through this message. He's physically giving demonstration of his power in people's lives as he heals them. And then we pick up the story. This group of followers turn up at Peter's house. Peter had a family and his mother-in-law is sick. Starting verse 14, and when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever, and he touched her hand, and the fever left her. 
she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, let me go first and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me, and leave the dead to bury their own dead. This is the word of the Lord. So, what's going on with that? Again, context. Jesus preaches the Sermon on the Mount. Then Matthew chapter 8 opens up. And Jesus starts touching people that are untouchables. The first one is the, probably the most shocking, remarkable, that he goes to a man who has leprosy, an outcast of society, someone you wouldn't even be caught near around, and he walks up to the person, and he lays his hand on them, which is radical in itself, and he heals this person. Next little vignette in Matthew chapter 8 is that he has a conversation with a Roman, one person who the Jews, of course, hated because of their political oppression, military oppression. And Jesus lauds this person for his faith. He has a spiritual, great spiritual conversation, heals this man's daughter, this Roman centurion. And then they come to Peter's house. And in the text, there's some interesting things happening. It's this aha moment that the writer Matthew comes to after he's heard this message, the Sermon on the Mount, and after he's seen, been eyewitness to Jesus doing these radical things. In Peter's house, they, they get back to it. Peter, of course, had left his family, hadn't he? Right? He, he had actually done this. He had lived it out. He was following Jesus around, and part of that for him meant leaving his family behind to tell people about the gospel, to experience the life of Christ. And they get back to the house, and um, he discovers his mother-in-law is sick. And so Jesus goes, and it, you might just kind of blow over the text, but he actually touches this woman. Like, this is not what a rabbi would do, and not what a teacher would do. But he brings healing to that house, adding, you know, this affirmation of value that Peter, yeah, you, you've sacrificed to come and follow me, and I'm going to bring healing to your house as well. I'm going to care for your family. So in a sense, he's prioritizing the family of Peter. And then Matthew kind of records this, you might miss it, this discovery. Wow. He starts thinking about and putting the pieces together that this is the Messiah. I'm actually seeing in the flesh the Messiah because he says it as you look at the text, Matthew 8, at the end of that event that happened with all these other people that had come to bring, find healing, both psychological and a, a spiritual oppression, the oppression of the evil one, and, um, and physical healing Jesus had given. 
Then Matthew says, he took our illnesses and bore our diseases. He's quoting, actually it's a bit of a quote and kind of more of a thought of a connection of what Jesus was doing to Isaiah 53. Are you familiar with that? Turn over, if you would, in the Old Testament to that very famous passage in in Isaiah 53 that is a statement about the Messiah. In verse 4, it says this, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. It's talking about the Messiah. It's giving a picture of him. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Uh, It is our sin. Upon him the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned, every one, to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Matthew makes this connection. That, that God has laid the brokenness of all people on the Messiah, and this is the Messiah I'm seeing in action. That Jesus went into Peter's house, and, and he, he accepted the suffering of this man who was leprous, of this Roman centurion, of Peter's mother-in-law, and then the whole crowd of people, some who had come who were oppressed by the evil one, and some who had come with physical issues, and, and he just accepted all of that. And he bore their pain and their suffering. And not only did he do that, but he brought healing into them. And Matthew's like, oh, this is it, right? This is the Messiah, the sent one from God. And the flow of all that happened, you can imagine the crowd starting to put pieces together and the excitement of people and, and really what that birthed in people when they saw the power of God, the, it, it, it underscored a couple great things. First, the remarkable power of Jesus to heal lives because people were actually experiencing healing. That's what happens when God shows up, right? He brings spiritual and emotional and physical healing. He does that. And they were discovering the power of faith, this Roman centurion that underscored thing. And that little vignette was that this man believed in God and there was power there. And they were seeing this firsthand, that Jesus was the living fulfillment of Isaiah's prophetic word. So this crowd grows. But there is, as you read the text, the the Gospels, this great difference between coming for the show and following Jesus. You know what I'm saying? There's there's a big difference of coming to, to watch the cool things that God can do and actually following God. There's a big difference between coming and enjoying worship and being a spectator and actually doing what God has called us to do, and that is not to be the spectator, but to be the participant, to be fully engaged. That's what God has called us all to do. And so this scribe comes. This is a man who had studied Scripture. This was his career, right, to to write about Scripture. He had memorized huge portions of the Old Testament. And, and he, had, he had written, you know, God's word down so other people could understand it. And he had taught other people. And he sees this happening, Jesus, and he's convinced, apparently, that Jesus is the Messiah, and he comes forward. That's a reference to what some of us have, 
have experienced in life when we made our commitment. We, we came to a, a gathering of other believers in church, and there was a call for us to actually make a commitment. And so he makes this commitment, right? And I think it's very genuine. He says, teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. This is a, a man who, it, he was steeped in Judaism, and he's making a commitment to Jesus, which was a big step for him. And you would expect that Jesus would applaud and say, that's fantastic, you know, and, and they would have some, you know, testimony time or something that other people would appreciate. And, and that's not exactly what happens here. The man makes this statement of commitment, which I think is genuine. And Jesus responds by saying, foxes have holes and, and birds have nests in the air, but I, I don't have anywhere to lay my head. He's saying there is no security physically. And following me. Just, he gives him a warning, doesn't he? That if you're going to follow me, there are things that you're going to have to let go of. The ease of your lifestyle, the security of your home. There are things that you need to know about my journey. It's going to be filled with adventure. There are going to be great things. But you're going to have to let go of the material stuff. He doesn't say that He's not making the point here, I don't believe, that um, we can't own any material goods. You have to go out this morning and sell your house and your cars to follow him. That's not what he's saying. But he is saying, here's the warning in following me. It's not full of the security that you're used to, that your culture places as a priority for your security. That, that doesn't happen. Our real security, the security that really matters, increases when we commit to following Jesus. I believe that. What really matters in our personal security, it increases when we follow Jesus. But what we've placed as a priority for our security, that decreases. You have to let that go. Do you know what I'm saying here? Do you know what the scripture is saying here? It's impossible to follow Jesus holding on to the things that culture finds as the source of our security. It's impossible. If you're placing your priority and your security in those things that are material, in your house, in your bank account, you can't follow Jesus. That's pretty radical, isn't it? That's, that's hard for us to accept when we have placed that. Let me ask you the question, what do you think, your friends and your family and your neighborhood places there as their chief security places, place where they feel most comfort and security in. Where, where do you? It's hard. It's a hard word. So this man who has made this commitment, we're not told what happens to him. That's one of the crazy mysteries of the text. We don't know whether he left or whether he followed. That really wasn't the point. The point is that Jesus makes this challenge to this guy. And then one of his disciples, that is one of the people who had been following Jesus, he had already left stuff and was following Jesus around and had had experienced life in Christ and was seeing things, right? This person says to Jesus, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus responds, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. What? 
Was anybody else uncomfortable when they thought about that? I don't know when the first time you read, some of you have read this text many times and you've, you've heard different people wrestle with it and talk about it. But it still is uncomfortable, isn't it? What? Are you telling me to leave my family in the hour of need? This is a person who is going to go take care of the funeral arrangements. Which, by the way, is a huge priority for every culture, isn't it? Especially if this person happened to be the firstborn son. And those of you, especially in Asian cultures, know exactly what I'm talking about here. That this is a cultural priority. You'd be disowned if you didn't follow through with this responsibility. And Jesus says to this person, we don't know any of the background. We don't know what's going on with this. We just know. He says, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. If you're going to follow Jesus, he must be a priority over everything, including your family. That's hard, isn't it? Now, look at the whole scope of Scripture, and you know this, that the Lord has placed us those of you who are parents, grandparents, to care for, to invest in, to model for those people who are under our care, to invest in our families. Families are, are highly prioritized in God's word. So this is not a statement devaluing family values. It's a statement devaluing family above Jesus, though. If my family is more significant to me than my faith... In Christ, my following Jesus, then it's an issue. And apparently it was an issue with this guy. Lord, I've got one more thing before I can follow you. I need to take care of some of this stuff. And he says, no, you don't. Follow me right now. But see the test of your commitment. Is your commitment true and real? Am I the first? And that was hard. Anybody else feel like that? that's hard? It's hard. I love my family. My family was gone for the last couple of weeks. They were um, down south taking care of a couple of family members who have gone through operations. And, and I was a lonely dog. Man, I, I was moping around. And, uh, and I don't like it when my family's gone. I love my family dearly. And, and I kept thinking about, oh, this is a fantastic text for me when I'm feeling this because I love my family and I want them around. I want to care for them and see their growth. And I, I missed actually... Um, because we were trying to care for my family down south, I missed my son's birthday, though we celebrated it yesterday. But, I, you know, there were, there were sacrifices, and I was I don't like that. I, I, it was the first time I'd ever missed one of my kids' birthdays. Jesus is saying this, this deeply personal thing about our commitment. I come first. Now, that doesn't give us an excuse to devalue the things that God wants us to care for, to ignore people that we're placed to care for, to, to just um, the next time that I don't follow through with my responsibilities to my family, blame it on Jesus. That I, that's not what I should be doing, right? But there is something deeply personal and important here about commitment that's being said by Jesus, and that is that he comes first, not your family, not your material goods. Nothing else comes before me. Now, are you ready to follow? That's not really actually um, how it's framed very often, is it, in Christianity? Usually, 
It's, oh, look at all the things that Jesus can do for you, which is true. He forgives. He removes the shame and the guilt. He loves. He cares for us. There's so many reasons to follow Jesus and why this commitment that I make to follow him matters and it's important and it should be first. But it's not as easy as it might seem on the face of it or as some people are communicating because the gospels say first, foremost, highest priority, following me. That's it. Now, there's context, right, of this statement. Jesus has just healed Peter's mother-in-law. So he's not saying the family doesn't matter. But he is saying, he, above all things, I matter. Above all things, if you want to follow me, I come first. And he doesn't say that for selfish reasons. It's not like Jesus needs your attention because he's needy. Jesus needs you to prioritize him above all other things because that's the only avenue by which you will experience health and wholeness and healing in your life, by which you will be reconciled to God and find forgiveness and wholeness only if he comes first. That's the only way your family will be healthy if you place Jesus first above your other priorities. Otherwise, things will be dysfunctional. When we prioritize Jesus, we get healthier, and our families get healthier. When my relationship with God is right, when he's first, my family's blessed. My marriage is blessed, right? When I'm not doing that, then they bear the brunt of that. This church bears the brunt of it if Christ is not first, in my life. If Christ is not first in your life, this church suffers, right? It does. And your neighbors suffer because they will not see a person consumed with a passion for Jesus and so be able to lay their life down for others. But when that commitment is right, then all other things will come into line and, and people will start to experience the blessing of me prioritizing Christ first, and then my witness will take off. People ask me um, about Fremont sometimes when I'm with family or other people out of town, and they ask me about this place. They don't know a whole lot about Fremont. It's not like it's famous or anything, but, um, but I brag about it. I bragged about this area because I really like this area. There's some great things about it, right? The weather, that's really nice. And um, this wonderful diversity that we get to share, that's really great. There's, there's some great things about, about this place that we share. And I also expressed to them, there are some common languages. Although there's so many different cultures and so many different languages, there are some very common languages in Fremont. Here's the two primary languages that I think are here. Family and financial security. Those are the two primary languages spoken in our culture in our day. And that's exactly what Jesus is speaking at here in Matthew 8. And that's exactly why so few people really truly follow Jesus in Fremont today. Because their priorities, the language that they speak, is not the language of God. Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't want you secure 
and healthy financially. He does want you healthy financially. I'm not saying that he doesn't want you to prioritize and love on and care for your family. He does want your family right and healthy. What I'm saying is, Scripture's call is to put Jesus first. And that's the rub. That's why so many people struggle in their relationship with God. That's why so many people do not follow Jesus in our day and our culture because they prioritize other things that are of lesser value than God. Our relationship with God, following Jesus, is the highest value. Nothing compares to that. And all other things will be blessed if I follow him. But it's not a following. It's not a commitment without cost. And that's what Jesus was getting at here. That our call is something far greater. That if this city, if the greater area is to be impacted by the Lord Jesus Christ through us, it's going to happen as we follow him without reserve. If he's our highest commitment. Um, A couple months ago, several months ago actually now, I ran in my first marathon. And um, I actually got a little trinket for it because I finished and um, I've got to tell you that I, I didn't finish well I finished but I was the last like five miles I was hating life and, um, and I was grumbling to myself and like you know I was in pain and I hit that wall about like there's a true wall I'm here to tell you about mile 20 I was sucking wind and I was you know just fighting through it and just hating it and I'm like, why did I, I should have just done the half marathon. I'm, and I'm just, you know, I'm just <laughs> talking to myself the whole time. And, and I, I had these three goals. I've told some of you before this, I had these three goals. First, finish. Whatever you do, you got to finish. And the second was, don't be last. That would, that would really, I'd hate that. Don't be last. And the third was, don't do something that will injure yourself for the rest of your life, okay? So I had very low goals, In order to actually finish a marathon and to do well in it, you have to actually seriously train. And I didn't have time in my schedule or the commitment in my own gut to do the training to do really well. I was just trying to finish. I didn't put in that commitment to do it really well. So I don't show that off because I'm not really super proud of it. I finished it. Okay, well, whatever. But... um. But I learned this great lesson. If you want to actually do a marathon well, you have to put in the time. You have to put in the commitment. That is the point of following Jesus. If I want to follow Jesus and do it the way that he's called me to do it, it takes commitment. It, it has to be consuming commitment to be the most significant thing that I do this week. The most powerful and meaningful thing that I do this week is following Jesus. If anyone wishes to, to come after me. Let him deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. And that's the direction to life. That's the direction to reconciliation between myself and God, to health and wholeness for my family. That is the way, the only way. But there is a cost. He must come first. That's why we sang all to Jesus I surrender. I don't surrender just part of it, or the things I want to surrender right now, I surrender all. Pray with me, please.
Father, this is the hard thing. To truly be honest with myself and to figure out what I've got to let go of. And you know our piles of stuff, Lord, the things we're holding on to as higher commitments to you. You just, you know us personally in this room. You see through our souls right now. And you know our little hands are gripping onto stuff that we've got to let go of to follow you. And I pray, Lord, that your spirit would so convict and move people, not out of guilt or shame, but just out of health and wholeness and commitment and love for you to to let go, to open our hands and our grips and to follow you and to keep asking that question each day of this week, Lord, what do I have to let go of today? To follow you, Lord, what what do you want? What do I need to let go of and, and prioritize you first? And I pray that your spirit would so move in us that we would be people of commitment, people who would say, okay, whatever you're asking, Lord, I'm gonna do that because I'm gonna follow you. Give us the courage, the wisdom to do that, Lord, this week. In Christ's name, all God's people said. Thanks so much for listening to the Bridges Podcast. Check out Bridges Community Church website at bridgescc.org for more information.